Amen. All right, well, we're there in Judges, chapter number 7. And uh, this morning we're beginning a new series entitled People Skills or Developing People Skills. And it's always good when you're in church at the beginning of a series. I want to encourage you to be here for every week in this series as we learn how to develop our ability to deal with people. Because life is all about dealing with people. Uh, we deal with people in your home, at work, uh, just in life in general. And we're going to be learning specific skills as to how to deal with people. And uh, this morning, uh, we're, we're looking here at the story of Gideon. And I'm not preaching about the, the, the main story of Gideon as we normally look at it uh, from the passage we read. But I want you to just real quickly look at verse number 1 of chapter 8. Uh, chapter 8 and verse 1 of Judges. The Bible says, And the men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. In life, we're going to have conflicts. In life, we're going to have confrontations. In life, we're going to have arguments. And I want to show you, and I want to compare and contrast Gideon and another judge that had similar situations. But in order to do that, uh, I want to just lay a little bit of the foundation as to what's going on here. And I don't want to preach through the life of of Gideon, but I just want to give you some real quick highlights just by way of introduction. If you can... uh, Go to Judges chapter number 6. You're there in chapter 8. Just flip a few pages back. And you could spend weeks uh, studying the life of Gideon. And and one of these days we will. One of these days I'll preach a series on the life of Gideon. And we'll look at his life. But I I just want to bring you up to date as to the events that have taken place that lead us into chapter 8 and verse 1. In Judges chapter 6 and verse 1, the Bible says this, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. The children of Israel were basically under the rule or the oppression of the Midianites. If, if you skip down at verse number 4, notice what it says. And they, I'm talking about the Midianites, encamped against them, talking about Israel, and destroyed their increase of the earth till thou come unto Gaza and left no sustenance. The word sustenance means nourishment or a means by sustaining life. It says they left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. Look at verse 5. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they, talking about Midian, came as grasshoppers for multitude. I want you to notice that there's an emphasis on the amount of people that came against Israel. It says they, they came as grasshoppers for multitude. And what he's saying there is that if you were to look out on the field and, 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 and see this great army, it, they would look like grasshoppers that have just overtaken the field. There's so many of them is what he's saying. They go back so far. They get so small in view. He says because there's a multitude for both they and their camels. Notice what it says. We're without number. And they entered into the land to destroy it. Skip down to verse 33. Notice in verse 33. And again, I'm not preaching through the life of Gideon. I just want you to kind of get what's going on. In verse 33, the emphasis is made again about the multitude. Notice verse 33. Then all the Midianites, and it's not just the Midianites, it's also their allies, and the Amalekites, and the children of the east, were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. Look at verse 34. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. The Lord raised up Gideon as a judge to deliver the children of Israel. It says, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abiezer was gathered after him. I want you to notice the word there, Abiezer. That's Gideon's home uh, land. That's where he's from. So, he blew a trumpet, and Abiezer was gathered after him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, 
who also was gathered after him and sent messengers to Asher and unto Zebulon and unto Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. So Gideon has now been raised up by the Lord to be a judge, and he didn't just do that. He, he required signs, and he required a prophet, and he required an angel of the Lord to come to him, but, he, but he's basically been raised up to be a judge, and he does what anybody would do when they're getting ready to go to battle. He tries to gather a military. He tries to gather a group of people to be able to go and do battle. Go to chapter 7. Look at verse 2. Chapter 7, verse 2. This is what Gideon is famously known for. Let's just look. I'm not preaching on this, but let's just look at it quickly just to give you the context. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with thee are, notice these words, too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. You know that sometimes you can be too well put together. You can have too much talent. You can have too many resources where God is unwilling to use you. Say, well, why would that be? Well, notice what he says. Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, my own hand hath saved me. He said, I, he said you, you, got, you got too many uh, people, Gideon. I don't want to deliver you to uh, give you the victory because you're just going to say that you did it, that your strength did it, that your resource, your intellect, your ability did it. Notice verse 3. Now, therefore, go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. So, and, and by the way, this is mentioned in the book of Leviticus that when they were to go to battle, they were supposed to tell people, if you're afraid, go home. Because the last thing you want to do is to go into battle with someone who's scared because fear spreads. So they did that. They said, hey, go home. Notice the result. And the return of the people, notice, 20 and 2,000. And there remained 10,000. Gideon had 32,000 men to go fight against what the Bible tells us is a multitude that they did not even number. And God says, you have too many. And Gideon says, all right, if you're scared, go home. And 22,000 men get up, grab their bags, and head home. And they get 10,000 left, 10,000 men left. Notice verse 4. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people are yet too many. He says, it's still too much. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them. He says, I'm going to test them there for, their, uh, for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go with thee. So he brought down the people unto the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Every one that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, every one that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord sent unto Gideon by the 300 men. Now, I'm sure when Gideon was separating these guys, he's looking over here and he sees 300. He's looking over here and he sees 9,700. And he's really hoping that God is going to say, send the 300 home. But, Gideon, but that's not what God says. Notice verse 6. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, were 300. Notice verse 7. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all uh, the other people go, every man, unto his place. Gideon sends 9,700 people home, has 300 men to go fight a battle against a multitude. You say, why would God do that? God did that for this one reason. When Gideon would come out victorious, no one would say it was because of his might, it was because of his resources, it was because of his strategy, it was because of his intellect. Everyone would say it was because God delivered Gideon. Look at verse 16. And he divided the 300 men into three companies. 
And he put a trumpet in every man's hand and empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And again, he only has 300 men. Now, he's not putting a sword in their hand. He's putting a pitcher in their hand. He's not putting a shield in their hand. He's putting a lamp in their hand. He's not putting a, 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 a weapon in their hand. He's putting a trumpet in their hand. Look at verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch. And they blew the trumpet and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpet and break the pitcher and held the lamps in the their hands and the trumpet in their right hands to blow with all and they cried the sword of the Lord and of Gideon and they stood every man in his place round about the camp and all the hosts ran and cried and fled and the 300 blew the trumpet notice what it says and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow these guys started fighting each other they started killing each other even throughout all the hosts and the hosts fled to Bethshita and Zaretha and to the border of Abel Meholath unto Tabath. Look at verse 23. And the men of Israel gathered themselves. Now this is after they, they've already basically, they're, they're, they're getting ready to finish the battle. These guys have killed themselves off and now the men of Israel are gathered. These are the reinforcements. There's more men coming now to join the battle after Gideon has already basically uh, uh, won or, or uh, hit a, a great blow with the 300 men that he had. Notice what it says. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together unto Naphtali and out of Asher and out of all Manasseh and pursued after the Midianites. And Gideon sent messengers. Now Gideon is sending out people and saying, Saying, hey, come help us. Sent messengers throughout all of Mount, aren't you notice this, Ephraim. Saying, come down against the Midianites and take before them the waters of Bethbara and Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters unto Bethbara and Jordan. And they, notice verse 25, and they, who's the they? That's Ephraim. That's the Ephraimites. And they took, notice, two princes. Of the Midianites. Now, a prince would be someone who's in authority, someone who's a leader. These are two main guys that they took, but I want you to notice there's only, there's only two guys. And they took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. And they slew Oreb upon the rock Oreb, and Zeb they slew at the winepress of Zeb. You know, we're assuming that these places were named after them because that's where they were killed. You know, if they happened to be killed in a place that was already named after them, that'd just be weird, right? That'd be quite a coincidence. And pursued Midian, notice, and brought the heads of two guys, Oreb and Zeb, and Gideon on the other, uh, to Gideon on the other side of Jordan, chapter 8, verse 1. And the men of Ephraim said unto him, said unto who? Gideon, why hast thou served us thus? Here's what they're saying. Why have you treated us this way? Treated us what way? That thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites and they did chide. You see that word chide? The word chide means to express disapproval, to scold or to reproach. And they did chide with him sharply. Now I want you to just pause there for a second. And I want you to just remember all of that. And we're going to come right back to that point in that story but I want you to just real quickly go with me to Judges chapter number 11. And we're going to jump into another story of another judge. Now, this is the type of sermon where the introduction is kind of long. And the sermon itself is not very long. But I want you to just pay attention. And I want you to just hold off in the story of Gideon. 
We've seen the great battle. We've seen him be caught. We, we read it, although we did not look at it in the sermon. We read the fact that Gideon is constantly second-guessing himself. He, the prophet comes. The Lord comes. He requires a sign of, uh, I'm sorry, the angel of the Lord comes. He requires a sign from the angel of the Lord. Even after that, he says, Lord, do a sign with the fleece. Then he says, do another sign with the fleece. And even after that, God has to send them out uh, to the camp of the Midianites. And he hears them tell a story about how they had a dream and how Gideon was going to He needed all of that to push him into doing this. And then he brings this great battle and he finds himself at the end of the battle getting ready to finish them off with the Ephraimites upset with him. Why is thou served us thus? That thou callest us not. And they did chide with him sharply. Now, pause right there. Let's jump into another story. Another judge. Judges chapter number 11. In Judges 11, we find a judge by the name of Jephthah. Jephthah has quite a story himself, and I'll try to go through it quickly, and I'm not going to do it. Jephthah was a mighty man of valor, the Bible tells us. He was also born of a harlot. When his brothers grew up, they basically thrust him out of the home. They kicked him out because he was born out of wedlock. He was born uh, to a harlot, is what the Bible says. And he was, they said, you're the son of a strange woman. So they threw him out. The Bible says that he fled from them. But when the children of Ammon, the Ammonites came to fight against Israel, they called him back and they said, hey, will you, you know, uh, lead us to victory? And Jephthah says, did you not hate me? You expelled me. You treated me wrongly. And they basically said, yeah, but if you help us win this battle, we'll make you in charge. He secures a promise that if he leads them in battle, they're going to make him the head and they're going to put him in charge. And he tries diplomacy. He tries to uh, send messengers to Ammon and it doesn't work. And they come to the place where they're going to battle against the children of Ammon. Look at verse 30 just real quickly. This is what Jephthah is mainly known for. Uh, Judges 11 and verse 30. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord. This was a foolish vow. And said, if thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon, into mine hand, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. He makes a foolish vow. He says, God, if you deliver the children of Ammon into my hand, the first thing that comes out of the door to meet me, and he's thinking an animal, the first thing that, that I see, an ox or something, I'm going to sacrifice that to you if you allow me to win this victory. Look at verse 32. So Jephthah passed over unto the children of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. He won the battle. Look at verse 34. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and dances, and she was his only child. The first person to meet him when he gets home is his only daughter. Beside her, he had neither son nor daughter. Look at verse 35. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me. For I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. See, he made a very foolish vow. He said, God, God, if you give me the victory, the first thing I see, I will sacrifice it to you as a burnt offering. And the first thing he sees is his daughter. Look at verse 39. And it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto the, her father, whom did with her according to his vow. What was his vow? That he would sacrifice, her, sacrifice whatever it was as a burnt offering, which he vowed a vow. And she knew no man. 
And it was a custom in Israel. It's quite a story. And I'm not defending what Jephthah did, or, you know, we, we've st- studied the life of Jephthah, and we've looked at that before. But I want you to notice Judges chapter 12 and verse 1. Jephthah just got done winning this great victory. He goes through this big turmoil of uh, having to sacrifice his daughter. And in Judges chapter 12 and verse 1, I want you to notice who shows up. And the men of Ephraim. Remember those guys? Notice what they did. Does this sound familiar? Gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon? And, does this sound familiar? Didst not call us to go with thee? We will burn thine house upon thee with fire. I don't know if you caught it. But the children of Ephraim come to Jephthah after his great battle and basically say the exact same thing that the children of Ephraim said to Gideon after his battle. Keep, keep, keep your finger there in Judges 12, 1, and go back to Judges 8, 1. Look at the similarities. Let's just flip back and forth. Judges 8, 1. Notice what it says. Judges 8, 1. And the man of Ephraim. And the man of Ephraim. Go, go to Judges 12, 1. Judges 12, 1. And the man of Ephraim. And the man of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon? And notice what they said. Didst not call us. Didst not call us. Go back to Judges 8. Look at verse 1. And the man of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus, and that thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites and they did chide with him sharply. I want you to notice that Gideon and Jephthah both received the exact same rebuke. Not only did they receive the exact same rebuke, they received the exact same rebuke from the exact same people. You know, at this point, I'm looking at Ephraim and saying, what are, you guys are quite the Johnny-come-latelys. I mean, you're missing all the major battles and complaining about it. They're saying, Jephthah, why didn't you call us to the battle? They're saying, Gideon, why didn't you call us to the battle? And here's what I want you to say. Gideon and Jephthah received the exact same rebuke. But I want you to notice the difference. They received the same rebuke, but they responded differently. We saw, number one, the rebuke. But I'd like you to notice, number two, the response. I want you to notice the response... Of Jephthah. Let's look at Jephthah first. Go to, Jeph- go to Judges chapter 12. Look at verse 2. I mean, is, is it pretty obvious from chapter 8 and verse 1 and chapter 12 and verse 1? You got the same people casting the same rebuke, having the same complaint, having the same disapproval, arguing sharply, trying to fight in conflict. I want you to notice how Jephthah responded. Judges chapter 12, verse 2. And Jephthah said unto them, I want you to notice the amount of times that Jephthah says, I and my. Notice what he says. And Jephthah said unto them, I, I, and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon. And when I called you, ye delivered me not out 
of their hands. And when I saw that ye delivered me, not, not, notice what he says, I put my life in my hands and passed over against the children of Ammon, and the Lord delivered them into my hands. Wherefore then are ye come up unto me this day to fight against me? Now, does anybody disagree with what Jephthah just said? Because I, I think everything he said was true and accurate. He says, I am the one that won this battle. I am the one that God chose. I am the one that God delivered. I am the one that got results. I am the one that got the victory. You did nothing. And here's the thing. Everything he said was true. He responded in a very true way. But I would submit to you that he responded in a very prideful way. And he said, it's all about me. Look what I did. Look what I accomplished. You shouldn't be talking to me that way. We saw the rebuke. We saw the response. What was the result? What came from Jephthah's response? Look at verse 4, same chapter. Judges chapter 12, verse 4. Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead smote Ephraim. Because they said, ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manasites. And the Gileadites took the passage of Jordan. The way that people would pass over the river Jordan. They took the passage of Jordan before the Ephraimites. And it was so that when the Ephraimites, which were escaped, said, let me go over. That the men of Gilead said unto him, art thou an Ephraimite? And if he said, nay... You know, keep in mind, you got the Gileadites fighting the Ephraimites. The Ephraimites are trying to get over the, the Jordan, trying to get out of harm's way. They took the passage, and everybody that's coming, they're saying, are you an Ephraimite? No. I'm sure everybody's saying, no, nay. But notice verse 6. Then they said unto him, say now, Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth. For he could not frame to pronounce it right. Here the Ephraimites have a different accent, a different uh, 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 a way of saying a word. They're not able to say it. And they're, they're trying to see, are you really an Ephraimite? Are you not? Are you an Ephraimite? Nay. All right. Well, why don't you say Shibboleth? Sibboleth. For he could not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him and slew him. Could you imagine being that line? I mean, imagine all these people trying to get over the Jordan. They're all out like they're practicing. Sibboleth. Sibboleth. And they can't say it right. It, just they're from a different part of the country. They have a different accent. They have a different dialect. Notice verse 6. Then said they unto him, Say now, Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth. For he could not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him and slew him at the passage of Jordan and all there fell at that time of the Ephraimites, don't miss this, 42,000. 42,000 men died. 42,000 men died. Was Jeff the right? I think everything he said was accurate. But I want you to notice the difference between Jephthah and Gideon. Go back to Judges chapter 8. Because remember, Gideon and Jephthah received the exact same rebuke, did they not? By the exact same people. I, I forgot my water here. I'm going to grab it real quick. Gideon and Jephthah received the exact same rebuke by the exact same people. Jephthah accurately says, 
I won the victory. I was chosen the Lord. It was all me. You had nothing to do with it. In fact, when I called you, you didn't come. Let's fight. And at the end of this conflict, 42,000, not enemies of the Lord, but the children of Israel, the people of God, 42,000 of them, lie dead. Gideon is given the same rebuke. How does he respond? Look at Judges chapter 8, verse 2. And he said unto them, and he said unto them, notice what he says, what have I done now in comparison of you? What have I done now in comparison of you? Now let's answer that question. What did Gideon do in comparison to the children of Ephraim? Gideon won a victory over an army that multitude looked like grasshoppers in the field. They could not even number them. Gideon not only won a victory over an enormous military, he won that victory with only 300 men. What did the children of Ephraim do? They killed two guys. They killed two guys. They slew two men. But I want you to notice how Gideon responded. And he said unto them, What have I done now in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning... Now, what's, what's the word gleaning mean? It's, it's, it's a farming term. It means to gather what's left over. Once a harvest has been done and the entire harvest has been brought in, there would be things left over because you don't gather everything up from a field. And when someone would go to glean the field, they're basically looking for the leftovers. And now notice what he says. Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim? Here's what he's saying. Isn't your leftovers... Isn't what you did, I mean, the leftovers of, what, the, of the grapes of Ephraim, notice this word, better than the vintage. What's vintage? That's a big old, the, the entire thing, the whole harvest, all of the grapes. He said, isn't the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? That's where he's from. Judges 6.11, you have to go there. Joash, the Abazirite, and his son Gideon. Judges 6.24, Gideon set up an altar in Ophrah of the Abazirites. Here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Your leftovers is better than what I did. Your leftovers is greater than what I did. He said, what is there in comparison between me and you? And listen to me. He's not talking down to them. He's not using sarcasm. He's saying to them... You and I play different roles, but you know what? You're better than. What you did is better than what I did. Now, here's the thing. Is that true? Well, it doesn't matter whether it's true or not. Here's what I think. I think Gideon actually believed that. Because Gideon was a very humble man. I mean, he didn't even want to do this fight. He didn't even want to go into this battle. He didn't want to fight. He, he was forced into it by God. God kept giving him signs and signs and signs. And now they're coming and saying, you didn't call us. Now, here's what Gideon could have said. What do you mean I didn't call you? I sent messengers for you once the battle had started. Or he could have said, what do you mean I didn't call you? I had 32,000 men and God made me send them all home except 300. I would have loved to have had your help. God didn't allow it. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at God. But that's not what Gideon said. Here's what Gideon said. What you did is better than. 
Your leftovers are better than everything that I did. See, Gideon is leveraging. Gideon is leveraging a principle of people skills that is taught to us in the New Testament. Let's look at it together. Go to the book of Philippians, chapter number 2. Philippians, chapter number 2. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Every sermon in this series, I'm going to give you one practical people skill. One skill that you can use within your life and your relationships to help you manage conflicts, to help you manage uh, ideas. And here we see, we see one man, Jephthah, who failed at this principle. We have one man, Gideon, who succeeded at this principle. And we see two very different results. What was the people's skill? Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 3. Notice what the Bible says. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. See, that's what Jephthah didn't have. Jephthah just thought a little too highly of himself. I, I, my, me, I, me, my. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Here you go. Here's what Gideon did. Let each esteem other better than. Do those two words sound familiar? Let each esteem other better than themselves. You know what the word esteem means? It means to consider. It means to think of. Here's what he's saying. Here's what I was saying. You ought to consider. You ought to consider others. You ought to regard others. You ought to think of others as better than yourself. You say, but it's not true. Jethro says it's not true. I'm the one that won the battle. I'm the one that fought the, 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 the victory. I'm the one that did it. Here's the thing. Here's another pr- principle, which is not part of the sermon, but let another man praise thee and not thine own lips. Amen. Don't go around exalting yourself and say, look what I did. Look what I did. Here's what Gideon did. He said, you know what? Your leftovers are better than what anything I did. And he said, why? Don't even compare yourself with me. Here's what Gideon was saying. Let each esteem other better than themselves. What was the result? What was the result? Go back to Judges chapter 8. Judges chapter 8. I'm, yeah, Judges chapter 8. Look at verse number uh, 3. God had delivered into your hands the princes of Midian. Notice what he says. God had delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. He said, you played a great part. He said, you did a great thing. He said, you got the two main guys. Sure, I killed a hundred and million, you know, however many people we killed. But you, easy what he was saying. God had delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. Notice what he says. And what was I able to do in comparison of you? Now look, I don't think Gideon's down-talking them. I don't think he's being sarcastic. I think he's saying, man, you guys did a great job. Man, I, I appreciate what you did. I'm thankful for what you did. And look, I don't think I'm better than you. I don't think I'm better than you. In fact, my lefto- your leftovers are better than anything I brought to the table. That's the response. Then their anger was abated. What's abated mean? It means to reduce an amount towards him. 
When did, when did the anger reduce an amount towards him? When he said that. You know that there are some people, and here's what I've noticed, and, and, and listen to me, if you're this person, I'm just trying to help you, I'm not trying to pick on you, but these people that are constantly self-exalting themselves, you know what they, here's all they want, is they just want to feel important. Ephraim, I just want to feel important. They said, Gideon, you're getting too much of the spotlight. Gideon, you're getting too much of the fame. Gideon, you're looking too good. Jephthah, you're looking too good. We want to look good too. And Jephthah said, no, it was me. It was not you. It was all about me. And Gideon said, you know what? What you did was better than what I did. And I'm not being sarcastic or talking down to you. I'm thankful that you fought, and I'm thankful for what you did. Then their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. Notice verse 4. And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over. He, isn't it interesting that that's where 42,000 men died in the story of Jephthah? At Jordan, at the Passover, at Jephthah's response, 42,000 of the children of Israel die. At Gideon's response, he just passed over. He and the 300 men that were, faint with, that were with him, notice, faint yet pursuing them. You please understand this. Gideon was able to not get distracted, to not get off point. He was able to continue fighting the enemy. He was able to continue fighting the people that God had told him to fight. Jephthah got off track and started fighting within his own camp. Why? Well, but they both received the exact same rebuke. But they gave different responses. And they had different results. One just moved on with life, kept fighting the battles, kept doing what God called him to do. The other one ended up going into civil war, and 42,000 men died. Go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 13. Here's a question I have for you, or a series of questions. I wonder, I mean, we saw one example here. I wonder how many wars in our world history could have been avoided. I mean, I wonder how many wars. I'm talking about literal wars, cannons, bayonets, arrows, whatever. I'm talking about literal wars where men are literally killing each other. I wonder how many of those could have been avoided if there had been one leader who had enough sense like Gideon to say, you know what, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. I wonder how many marriages. I wonder how many marriages could have avoided divorce. If there had just been one person that at the time of conflict, that at the time of arguing, that at the time of chiding, that at the time of rebuke, that at the time of accusations, would have just said, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. I wonder how many friendships could have been rescued. I wonder how many church splits could have been avoided. I mean, I just wonder how many conflicts in life could have ended differently. The results would have been different if we would have not been like Jephthah and said, no, it's me and it's I and it's what I did. And here's the thing, Jephthah, you're right. But your attitude was wrong. And men died. Marriages die, and churches die, and friendships die, and relationships die. See, Pastor Jimenez, what is the people's skill? What is the skill for dealing with people you'd like us to learn this morning? Here it is. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. 
but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. But that's not true. It's not true. It doesn't matter. In life, you ought to consider and regard others as better than you. What they're doing is great. What they're doing is wonderful. And if God, whatever victories God allows them to have, whatever victories God allows them to have, hey, praise the Lord for it. I'm not here to compare with you. I'm not here to be in a fight with you. I'm not here to be in strife or vain glory about who's doing more. Gideon says, I'm just trying to do what God called me to do. And you're doing what God called you to do. And you know what? The way I see it is, your leftovers are better than anything I can bring to the table. And Gideon said that and their anger was abated. Here's another people skills for you that we'll deal with in another sermon. A soft answer turneth away wrath. But grievous words stir up anger. Are you there in John 13? John 13. Let's just quickly look at how this works within leadership and fellowship roles. Because you can say, well, yeah, you know, when I'm dealing with someone who's my peer or my leader, if I'm dealing with my boss, if I'm dealing maybe a wife with my husband, if I'm dealing with, you know, my employer or whatever, I can see how this works. Or if I'm dealing with a peer, someone that I'm equal to, we're both employees at this job, or we're both, whatever, pastors, we're both dealing, you know, we're, we're a peer. I can see how this, would, this principle would work, let each esteem other better themselves. But how does it work if I'm the leader and with my followers? I'm the employer. I'm the business owner. I'm the manager. I'm the boss. I'm the husband. I'm the parent. I'm the pastor. I'm whatever. I'm in charge. How, how does it work to esteem other better than yourself when you're supposed to be running the show? John 13, look at verse 12. John 13, verse 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John 13, verse 12. We're almost done. So after he had washed their feet, that's Jesus washing the feet of the apostles. And had taken his garments and was set down again. He said unto them, Know ye what I have done unto you? Notice verse 13. Ye call me Master and Lord. Ye call me Master and Lord. And ye say, well, for so I am. He said, you call me the boss. You call me in charge. You say I'm running the show. You say I'm leading the ministry. And he says... And ye say, well, for so I am. Here's what Jesus is saying. I am in charge. I am the boss. I am the master. I am the Lord. Notice verse 14. If I then, if I then, your Lord and master, if I then, your parent, if I then, as your mother, if I then, as your father, if I then, as your husband, if I then, as your boss, if I then, as your employer, if I then, as your pastor, whatever leadership role you want to insert there, he says, if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Here's what he's saying. Within leadership, within leadership, how do you esteem other better than yourself? And here's what we call it in our society today. It's called servant leadership. Here's what we mean by that. It doesn't mean that you as a husband go and work all day long and then come home and your wife's just been you know, laying on the couch all day watching soap operas and you're like, no problem, honey. You sit there, I'll do all the laundry. Okay? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Listen, now look, if you're sending your wife off to work, then yeah, you split the house chores because she's doing your job so you better help her with hers. But if you're working all day and she's just eat, you know, eating bonbons all day at home on Facebook, 
It's not good leadership to go in there. Look, it's not good leadership to go in and clean your children's uh, room when you told them to clean the room and they disobeyed. That's not what we're talking about. You say, well, what is servant leadership? What does servant leadership look like when a leader is esteeming others better than themselves? Here's what it looks like. It looks like this. My job as a leader, my job as a pastor, as a husband, as a parent, whatever place of leadership that I have or you have in life, my job in leadership is to make sure that my followers are better off as a result of my leadership. I have my wife's best interest in mind. I have my children's best interest in mind. My goal, and look, sometimes what that means is that I have to make my children do things they don't want to do. I'm sure they'd much rather have ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but we're going to have to make them eat broccoli. Why? Because I'm a servant leader. Because my job is to try to make sure that they reach their full potential as a result of my leadership in their life. So even as a leader, don't say, oh, well, in a leadership position, this doesn't apply because she's supposed to rub my feet when I come home. Whatever. Here's all I'm saying. As a leader, you're still to esteem other better than yourself. Because your job is to make sure that their life, look, my job as a pastor is to try to make sure that you're growing spiritually, you're being fed spiritually, you're learning and understanding and growing in the Lord, and that you are uh, excelling in your spiritual life as a result of my ministry. It doesn't mean that you serve me, it means that I serve you. That doesn't mean that I sit there and do your job or you sit there and do my job. But even within a leadership role, we can esteem other better than ourselves. When as a leader, I say, I've got your best interest in mind. Every husband here should have his wife's best interest in mind. Every parent here should have their children's best interest in mind. And here's what it comes down to. If I have to lose so my wife can win, if I have to lose so my children can win, if I have to lose so my church people can win, that's okay. Because I'm esteeming you better than myself. Here's people skill number one. I'm going to give you one people skill every week in this series. To help you handle conflicts better. Because if you ever have somebody call you and just begin to just lay it on you, you did this and you did that and you didn't call me and you didn't do this and I don't, I'm, not, I'm mad and I'm upset and why did you treat us thus? I think in our flesh sometimes we want to react like Jephthah. But please understand, Jephthah, you may be right. Jephthah, you may be right, but that doesn't change the fact that 42,000 men died. And marriages die and relationships die Churches die, friendships die, because we do not leverage the principle that Gideon so beautifully leveraged. Let nothing be done through strife for vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So the next time you're chiding, just think to yourself, you're, you're better than I am. Not, not that that's necessarily true, not that it's true in the eyes of God, but I'm going to esteem you. I'm going to consider you. I'm going to put your best interest first. And Gideon says, you're leftovers. Don't compare yourself to me. Your leftovers are better. I'm so thankful for what you did. I'm so glad that you brought those two guys. Those were the two main guys. I'm glad you brought them in. Hey, guys, I'm going to go keep fighting the enemy. No fight. No argument. 
No divorce, no split. They just went on their merry way. So who do you want to be? Gideon or Jephthah? Let each esteem other better than themselves. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for these stories in Scripture. We know that they have to be divinely inspired because they're there to teach us principles of life. And Father, I pray that we would all walk away from here looking for opportunities to esteem others better than ourselves. Not like Jephthah searching for vain glory, exalting self, but Lord, looking for genuine opportunities to say, you know what? I'm just, I'm just trying to do the best I can with the abilities and talents that God has given me. And you don't need to compare yourself to me and I don't need to compare myself to you. I'm just going to go ahead and esteem you better than myself. Father, we love you. Thank you for the Bible. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.